What's going on, people? Welcome to Pain Points, proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network. As usual, we're a part of the Tainer Supers family. I'm Jake Painting. You can find my written work over at TainerSupers.com. You can find all the all the great writing over at TainerSupers.com. I'm on Twitter at Jake Painting, J-A-K-E-P-A-Y-N-T-I-N-G. Today, I'm joined by Tainer Supers Editor-in-Chief, Kyle Tige. What's going on, man? How's it going, dude? Yeah, not too bad. Same old stuff. So um, we're just going to get into some... Well, we'll go through the, the news, I guess, that's come through in the Timberwolves world to start off with, and then we'll just get into a few questions that I thought up about the the 2020-2021 season, try and, um, you know, figure out a few things that, that might pertain to the Wolves roster, and just, yeah, try and have some fun with it. So, obviously, the big news is Glenn Taylor looking to sell the team. Not the first time he's done so, but it seems like from all reports that he... um is looking pretty seriously into it and that things are, are moving along quite quickly. Uh, what what are your thoughts overall on that, Kyle? Um, so, like, obviously, like you said, the news came out that he was trying to sell. It wasn't the first time, um, but at least the reporting on this seems like it's also for real this time. I mean, yeah. everything that goes into this, I think, what is it? Is Glenn Taylor 79? I mean, he, he's older. Um he's put more emphasis and investment into the team lately. I mean, they, they remodeled Target Center. They have a practice facility. Uh, he's kind of been a little more open with his checkbook in terms of roster. And, and I mean, you know, when Gerson came in, he allowed Gerson to go get all of his guys. Um, so it kind of makes sense. I mean, he built it up. Uh, I think Forbes had him at $1.37 billion. Um, So I don't know. It just seems kind of like a good time. And, you know, with this whole pandemic thing and the economy over here and, nationwide or you know globally um it might just be kind of a comfy time to sell um i mean i i don't i don't think uh nba franchises are in the tank in terms of value but i just you know if i'm 80 and i just want to get a really good uh return on my what was it 80 million dollar 90 million dollar investment back in the 90s um it makes sense so it comes yeah. down to um you know who who's gonna get it uh i know you know kevin garnett was obviously the the guy that Everyone wanted to get it, um, but you know, in over in the states, I mean, and you know this too because you're so connected. But when when a player's face is on an ownership group, those guys probably put in ten million dollars of the of yeah. the one point three billion. So I mean, it was since you know since this news broke, and between now and the recording, uh, like Aaron Aflalo is on a group that yeah, is really yeah. interested, which was like the weirdest thing in the world because if you look at how much a flaw was made in his career it's not a ton of money but uh i guess you know my my overall stance was and i I tweeted this out but you know i I think it's time for to move on um i know i I think you and i are big fans of dane moore and he had brit on brit robson on this week and he said you know um i think dane's main takeaway was glenn taylor owning the timberwolves means the timberwolves are staying in minnesota 100 percent. anyone who comes in even if it's kevin garnett it might still be 99%, but there's still that small percent chance that the team could leave. Um, and that, 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 that could happen, but I, I, I would, I'm always optimistic. You know that better than anyone. Uh, I just okay. believe that they'll stay around. And while Glenn was a good owner, he was a great owner for the Minnesota Lynx. He kind of let Cheryl Reeve and her, her crew do their thing. Um, I can't, it can't get any worse. I mean, Glenn's a good guy. I really think he's a good guy at heart. Um, but I mean, the, the team has sucked for as long as you you and I have been alive. So, I mean, right. I don't think the next owner can 
take it anywhere but up. Um, so I'm optimistic. I'm excited for change. I think they need to shake everything up in that in that kind of team a little bit in that franchise. So what about you? Like I'm, I'm really interested because obviously you're a big Wolves fan, but you're on the other side of the world. So like, what kind of what was your take on it? Yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I think it's obviously it's very commendable to to Glenn the way he's kept the franchise in Minnesota and, and the commitment he's shown to keeping the team in Minnesota. I mean, that's even, you know, on the other side of the world, that's still all we want as Timberwolves fans is to keep the the, the team in the city and, and we don't want to be Seattle supporters. We don't want to be Las Vegas supporters. I mean, and obvious, but obviously outside of that, you know, he's. I think his ambition with the Timberwolves, not, not so much the Lynx, but to to keep the team in the city has has overruled his I guess ambition to to turn them into a real perennial winner. I mean, there's been the the country club hirings have always you know marred his reputation a little bit. Then when he when he goes outside the country club, you know the the tip stuff who we'll get to I'm sure in a minute <laughs> is is a disaster. You know what I mean? And it's. You know the handshake agreement with Andrew Wiggins. All that's only stuff you know in the last five years, and like you can go back a lot further than that. And kind of, you know, we can sit here all day talking about the things that Glenn Taylor's done wrong as an owner. But um, like you said, we we want the team to stay in Minnesota. I hope that he doesn't kind of you know go in with with naivety about you know the the whoever succeeding him to to keep the team in Minnesota because that's the kind of thing I guess that we saw with that Andrew Wiggins deal that he does put a lot of faith into, you know, um, like handshake agreements, I guess, that that can't really be put on the dotted line until it's too late. With with Wiggins, obviously, you could never tell for sure. You can never, you know, put into his contract that he's going to try harder. I don't think legally they can really keep the team in Minnesota once, you know, someone else takes over as majority owner. I'm not sure. Maybe they'll try and... You know, weighing him out of the, weighing him out of the the franchise. Maybe he stays on for another few years, and, like, and they, you know, the new buyer kind of gradually increases their percentage, uh, their stake in the franchise. But yeah, I don't know. I, I I have mixed feelings about it. Like you said, I think a shake up is, is clearly in order. That it has been for years, and it can't really be a bad thing when when this team is, you know, the lot the bottom end of attendance the bottom end of you know fan sales and just overall excitement in the league even with two fairly marketable you know young stars it's probably it probably can't be a bad thing that that they yeah shake things up and and get a fresh face in to lead the franchise and and again i'm like a stickler for consistency so like the day before the news breaks i think if you just pulled anyone they hated glenn taylor you know what i mean like i think glenn taylor you can be a good person and just not be good at stuff. I mean, Glenn Taylor obviously has made billions of dollars and he has, you know, if you Google him, he's got some kind of weird lawsuits or business practices. Like any any successful person does, they have some blemishes and some things in their past. But uh, but the day before the news came, I mean, everyone, you know, would have been like, oh, I can't wait till Glenn sells. We can get KG. We can retire his jersey. We can have some shakeup. And then when the news finally does come that it, he might be selling, I was surprised at how many people were all of a sudden like, oh, man. 
oh, are we sure we want Glenn to sell? And I was just like, wait a second, you didn't like Glenn Taylor yesterday, so now you want him to stay on? Um, yeah. That and, was... for year, and for years it's been, you know, everything you see is that this team will go nowhere until Glenn Taylor sells the team. And now, like you said, it's kind of everyone, now that the reality is hit, they're almost like, wait a second, this this could have some repercussions that maybe we don't like. But, but that was the reality all along. Yeah, and like I said, I, I, I think... Kind of reminds me of having Andrew Wiggins on the roster. Like, is there is there some risk with this move and getting rid of Glenn and bringing someone new in? Yeah, but could it be a much better reward? I mean, could having I mean they have a front, smart front office. I think you and I both are obviously Team Gerson Rosas, but like I've never thought they've had a smart owner. I mean, I think Glenn's a good yeah. guy and he's you know a family guy and he loves handshakes, like you said, and he loves lasagna dinners. But like <laughs> having a having a Steve Ballmer might be a benefit, or like um. This is kind of pivot to American football, but like there's a the Carolina Panthers got a new owner and like he did a bunch of changes and modernized the the front office and analytics and stuff and like that that can't hurt the Timberwolves. I mean they've been trying those over the last couple of years. Um, I just can't see how it'd be a bad thing. I mean obviously and Dane and Brent talk Dane and Britt talked about this too, but uh, anytime you change owners, I mean Ryan and Gerson are both have less job security. I mean I think. Prior to the news, we much thought, less. Yeah, we, yeah, much less. We thought Gerson Rosas was pretty much here for as long as he wanted to stay. Um, and it'll be interesting if a new owner comes in and he doesn't give Gerson the same leash that he's had in the past. I mean, the last time Gerson took a job like this and he didn't get the power he wanted, he bailed. I don't think that's the case here. Again, I could just be drunk off the Kool Aid, but um, I'm just optimistic. I think change is good. I think it's necessary. I think the Wolves are in a better spot as a asset that, and the links than they ever were. Um, and I think if you can get someone in there that wants to keep the team in the city and wants to give Gerson his leash and Cheryl Reeve her leash and just let them do their thing. I mean, the links have shown they know how to build winners. Um, that will be important. So I think I think it's good news. But um, and I think it's gonna I think it's gonna happen fast. I mean, I don't I don't think Glenn Taylor will be sitting in his chair courtside. Uh, come Christmas when the team tips off. I really think this has smoke and fire, um, but we'll see. It'll be interesting to follow. It was good for you and I. We have something to talk about that's not yeah. like Lillian or, you know, LaMelo Ball month seven. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think that the thing with, with Rosas as well, I guess with, you know, obviously I agree that, that his job security is just, well, I guess will drop dramatically even when this does happen, but the thing I think that's different than his time in Dallas where he, like you said, he bailed early. I think it was 90 days that he kind of stuck around for. He didn't get the the power he wanted from Mark Cuban. I think Cuban kind of tried to steer him in a direction. And, and as we've seen, Rosas has a very clear picture of what he wants to do and, and how he wants to win basketball games. But the difference I think here, I guess, with the new owners is that Rosas has already had that that full season and the trade deadline. He's already... I guess, you know, if you, if you compare this team and the direction they're going to how they were 12 months ago, you can see that he is, you know, implementing the right processes. He's made that, you know, I'm not a massive, massive D'Angelo Russell fan, but I think he's a clear upgrade over Wiggins. I think that was still a really good trade, no matter what happens with that draft pick next season. And I think that's that's the um, that's working in his favor with the new owners. I, I think they're not, they're probably less likely to just, oust him as soon as they get in because he does have that track record of being a pretty good uh, you know, president of basketball operations so far in his time with Minnesota. And I guess that, that at least buys him, you know, another trade deadline or another, you know, another season after they arrive to prove his worth. Maybe it doesn't buy him 
the same amount of time as it would with with Glenn, just because I think Glenn obviously really likes Gerson and really, you know, trust him to do what it, whatever he wanted, I guess. But it's I think he's bought himself at least another season and, and at least a little bit more time to prove his worth rather than just a guy who's who's going to get shoved out the door as soon as the new ownership arrive. Yeah, and and like it's a classic like American saying of fooling once shame on me type thing. Like it's okay that Gerson had that that first time in Dallas that didn't really work and maybe he you know, you get into a job sometimes in life and the job description's not nearly what it what you're actually doing, so Gerson left. And we like, don't know and we don't know the ins and outs of that. Like we know the right. surface, you know, reporting, we don't know what happened behind the scenes. Right. But it just you know, you're not gonna do it again. Like Gerson Rosas isn't gonna all of a sudden develop this habit or this, you know, perception of Whenever things don't go his way, he just quits. Because he'll never get another job again. Yeah, he'll never get another job again. What owners are going to bring that guy in if he bailed on two highly respective owners? I mean, Glenn Taylor might not be big to us, but I mean, he he was like um, had a very important role in the NBA's board of governors. Um, So I mean, I I just I don't I'm not as worried about that. You know, the KG thing. um, Again, it's pretty cool. It'd be cool if Kevin Garnett was like the brand ambassador, and I mean. I can't imagine that would be a bad thing. Or get his jersey retired, have him sit in on free agent meetings, like make him. The Timberwolves are cool to you and I, but they're not cool to free agents or yeah. your general fan. Um, so having him and his personality, I think, is a benefit. Um, there are some scary things when you Google about in the past of him saying, "When I take over a team, I want to get my guys in there." I mean, I don't, you know, if Tony Allen is the GM of the Timberwolves next summer, <laughs> I think we're in trouble. But yeah. I, I again, I'm just I'm optimistic. I think it's time. I think it's necessary. Um, and I think whoever inherits the team or buys the team is getting a much better, like I said, asset or product uh, with both the Wolves and Lynx than they would have, you know, five years ago. So it'll be interesting. But like I said, much needed news for you and I. I was I was when it broke. I knew you were like sleeping. I was like, I can't wait for Jake <laughs> to wake up. This is gonna be awesome. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that it reminded me a little bit of when Tibbs got fired when we kind of. For so long, we were like, you know, Tibbs needs to be fired. Like, Glenn Taylor needs to sell the team. And then all of a sudden, it just happened. And you're like, yep. oh, I never actually expected this to happen. Like, there's that game, you know, I think after LA, Tibbs, and we, we they just won Minnesota. And all of a sudden, Tibbs got fired. And I was like, holy shit. Like, you know, they've actually done it. That's a great point. But, it would have been great if they would have, like, sold the team. Or, like, Glenn, this news would have came out, like, after the OKC game with Chris Paul. Or, like, after they blew that, like, historic lead to the Kings. Like, if Glenn would have just yeah. came out after the game and been like, screw this, I'm selling the team. I'd have been like, okay, that's fine. But, like, yeah, it just came out of nowhere. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess I was maybe naive. I just maybe thought Glenn was just going to kind of die owning the team. Like, yeah, you know. Um, but, but yeah, like I said, I think it's good news. We'll, we'll obviously monitor it, and you and I will be on top of it. But um, I think we got to pivot because you just brought it up. Um, to We're recording this Saturday night for me out on the West Coast, Sunday for you. Uh, the news today that Tibbs is officially running the Knicks. What do you think? Yeah. Five years. Um, I I don't think I could imagine a worse scenario for New York. I mean, obviously, we're biased just because we've been scorned by Tom Thibodeau, but just it's there's a lot of similarities to Minnesota, and then the, the highs aren't as high in New York, and the lows are even lower. I mean, just do they are they going to trade? You know, is he is he going to come in and try and do the the whole Timberwolves thing again? Is he going to try and trade RJ Barrett for for a you know a star that can help them win now that that will you know ha- like destroy them 
later. I just, I don't think it's, I don't think, I, I think a lot today that it was just kind of, you know, Tibbs was just a bad GM in Minnesota and that he, you know, will be better now that he's just a coach in New York. But I think that's pretty, you know, being pretty ignorant to the fact that his schemes were very outdated. He, he had no, you know, player chemistry with the, with the players that weren't guys who he coached, you know, 10 years ago. He he never tried to to build relationships with guys who, who he, you know, with the Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, who I guess he didn't think were up to standard or up to playing the way they, they should have been playing. I don't think he tried to foster, you know, an environment where they could thrive. He kind of just threw them under the bus and said, look, we'll just, you know, get Jimmy Butler and, and he'll do what you don't do. And then, you know, up everywhere I hear is that, that New York are absolutely, you know, enamored with, with LaMelo Ball. And that could be, you know, the worst pairing that I've ever seen. I don't think, I think, I don't think LaMelo Ball and Tom Thibodeau can coexist at all. So I love that. I love what you said. I have some takes. And I think my first take would be, is that when this all came out, I mean, obviously, when it, when it came out, the news broke. And welcome back to Adrian Wojnarowski, by the way, who's apparently free. <laughs> yeah. uh, people were obviously got their jokes off. But then there was a really large segment of people that were like, well, you know, Tom Thibodeau is still like a good coach. And I <laughs> had I struggled with that because I think you can this is in any shape realm of life. But like, I think you can know a lot about something, but not necessarily be good at it or like. Like, okay, I think Tim Tom Thibodeau has much more basketball IQ in a portion of his brain than you and I combined. But, like, if, you, sure. can't, if yeah. you can't relate to players, I mean, the best coaches in the league right now aren't just the smartest basketball guys. They're also the ones that, like, can relate to the modern-day NBA star. Like, they can relate to millennials. They understand it. Like, so that, like you said, not only have, and your basketball mind is far superior to mine, but, like, the schemes and all that stuff is far outdated. But I just don't know how the dude, like, People, because you know they're doing it like they're trying to relate what what Tibbs is going to take over in New York to what he took over in Minnesota. And with all due respect, again, maybe I'm just drunk off blue Kool Aid, but what he took over in Minnesota was light years better than what he's taking over in New York. They like, don't have a player in the same realm as Towns. No, and I mean like that's, much less yeah, Zach Levine. Right, and I mean like I know what we think of Wiggins, um, and it's all fair. But like I am one-on-one like Andrew Wiggins is going to beat RJ Barrett right now like I don't know what RJ Barrett is I like RJ Barrett but what is he taking over and then yeah the the LaMelo Ball thing like is Tom Thibodeau going to be coaching LaMelo Ball and RJ Barrett like three years from now and again I think the biggest thing that goes under the radar is that somehow some way how did Tom Thibodeau have the leverage to get a five-year deal like, how yeah. is he not, after he just literally burned a franchise to the ground, how is he not on, like, a two-year prove-it deal? Um, that dude has the best agent in the world. Um, <laughs> it'll, so, it'll be interesting. Like I said, uh, and you, you again, you, I think you mentioned this. You know this, but, like, if you can, if you, anyone can bring the Knicks and win a title, you're a legend. I mean, that is worth more and than that. Ever. And I think that would be the, the reasoning for, for Thibodeau, that he doesn't want to. I, I mean, he if he... Is if he comes back and he's a success story and they make the playoffs next year and he even in five years they don't win a championship but they're you know in the in the playoffs every season he they're going to love him there and he'll be for he'll get another job after that and he'll be forever renowned as 
a really good coach, but ugh, just don't see it happening. And, and and if he doesn't, which I don't think he will, I mean, they're, they're going to have to make some massive changes to that roster because I think that roster is maybe one of the three worst rosters in the league. Um, but I just I I think he's gonna. I mean, for, it's for him, it's a no it's a no brainer. Like you get to coach in New York, and media restrictions might be even tighter post COVID. I mean, you might not have to do right. as many as many interviews or as many media things, and um. He gets five more years of a really good contract, um, but but I think it's important too because before this, you know, so Leon Rose takes over from CAA the agency, and he takes over the Knicks. And since then, every I mean, all summer when there's nothing to talk about, every CAA guy has been linked to the Knicks. So right yeah. away it was Carl Anthony Towns, um, uh, then it was Devin Booker, and now it's Zach Levine this week. Um, I would say confidently that with the Tibbs to New York thing now done. We can put to rest Carl Anthony Towns ever quote unquote demanding a trade to the Knicks. Oh, I know forever. he's from. There is no chance. I know he's from out in that area in the New Jersey area. Um, Carl Anthony Towns does not like Tom Thibodeau, so we can just mm-hmm. put that to rest. I don't think we have to worry about that. He will be in Minnesota. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I really hope it's a dumpster fire. I feel bad for the <laughs> Knicks fans because they I mean they're good, passionate fans. But I mean, I don't see how I, I don't. I don't see how that team wasn't like a weird up and coming young assistant coach. They could coach young players, and then two, three years from now, when they're better, they could bring in a guy. But um, but I'll just I, just, I do want to say this because I I think now because he got that job, I think Kenny Atkinson will get the Bulls job, and that's going to crush my heart because I think Kenny Atkinson's a really good coach. And yeah. I if things didn't work out with Ryan Saunders, I would love him to coach the Wolves. But I think the Bulls are going to just kind of have Kenny Atkinson fall in their laps and they'll be good and the Knicks will continue to be bad, but we'll get a lot of good jokes from it, man. Like a lot of good content. So Yeah, he, he's just like a he's like a cockroach that survived like a nuclear blast, Tom Thibodeau. Like he just no matter what he does, he was just not going away and like the they're such a they've been such a, a messy franchise, you know, for so many years in the front office and the coaching, you know, roulette that's going on there. But so like Thibodeau's, he has not, uh, you know, bonded with, with the front office in his whole career. That's part of the reason why he demanded, you know, that that Minnesota hire him as both, you know, the the hobo and the coach. I just don't see, you know, if if they're trying to play the long game, if Leon Rose is trying to play the long game in New York's front office and really try and develop some of the the good talent they have, that's never seemed to be. The way that that Tibbs operates, and it's he, you know, we heard all the same stories before he got to Minnesota. You know that he was changed, that he he'd be going around the league and learning these new schemes, and you know, learning to to coach the modern game. And then he got to Minnesota, and they ran the ice scheme every single play. You know, you heard him screaming it from three blocks away. He, <laughs> he and they they didn't shoot threes. They you know wouldn't put Towns on the perimeter for, for an entire game. Like, we've seen just, I'm, I'm not a, you know, most people, and I'm not a huge Ryan Saunders, you know, booster, but we've seen how easy it was for Saunders to just maximize Towns immediately, and that is let him shoot more threes. Like, Tibbs is the kind of guy who just, in you know, most of his stops is outside the the four or five players, your, your Butlers and Taj Gibsons. He's, he's never, you know, maximized individual talent and that's exactly what New York need is someone who can really maximize their talent, get the most out of Barrett, get the most out of Mitch Robinson. Just, uh, I just, 
I don't get it. I, I hope for the, you know, the friends I have who go for New York and for all the suffering they've gone through that, that it works out, but oh, I wouldn't put my money on it. I would, I would have bet my life when he got laid off by the Timberwolves that he would have never gotten another head coaching job. I mean, I just, I never <laughs> yeah. would have seen this coming. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I wish him well. It was a no brainer for him. Uh, because he gets five more years of guaranteed money. I just, it, it's hard not to, there's such a better chance of us looking back at this as just another Phil Jackson move where just a, you know, a story guy with a resume just cashed in and took the money from New York rather than, oh my God, can you believe in 2024, the Knicks are perennial contenders. Like I, they're just, yeah. they're just, they just don't have a roster and any of the Tibbs guys that everyone likes to talk about. When he took over the Wolves, Jimmy Butler was just like, entering his prime or you know right in his prime and Tosh Gibson still had life and Derrick Rose was out there but like all those guys from the Tibbs era kind of gone I mean he'll he gets to coach Tosh again which I'm sure will be great for the younger guys but there's but no way that there's no way that that Jimmy's going back never there. no like, Jimmy he, loves Miami and he I think his relationship with, with Tibbs soured I don't think they're on yeah. bad terms but I think they definitely sour I don't think he enjoyed being coached by Tibbs the second time around which I is think he, which is like <laughs> That's all you would need to know if you're the Knicks front office. Like, well, we shouldn't probably hire this guy. Yeah, when when you know the guy who's been in his corner for his whole career eventually soured on him, and you know, through a public hissy fit, you know that yep. that this probably isn't a good idea. I I agree. Like I said, it best best of luck to him. It made sense. Uh, he cashed in again. Um, and it's good for us. Like I said, I think it's good for the league just because. The more storylines and stuff you have, and drama. I mean, there's going to be drama. Like he's gonna, if if the basketball season does come back starting on Christmas or whenever, um, by mid January or something. If RJ Barrett's played three straight nights of forty six minutes a game, I feel bad for <laughs> RJ, but that would be great for us. Like we'll be able to get our jokes off. So <laughs> yeah. So um, so we'll get straight into these other questions. I mean, that was obviously all the news we've had Timberwolves related for about three months. So. We'll get into a few a few questions just relative to to next season. I think it's obviously a long way away, but but watching this this bubble ball has got me pretty excited to actually see the Timberwolves again. So my my first one is assuming Towns is in I guess let's say the the tenth percentile lead wide defensively. I know that's kind of a random number, the tenth percentile, but well, I think he's around that area. How good does he have to get? to be, you know, for this team to be a playoff, you know, lock or, or, or a contender. I guess the same goes for D'Angelo Russell as well. They're both probably in the same boat. That's a really good question. I First off, I just want to ask you this, because I, I, like I said, you're my guy on this. Do you just feel like because the Timberwolves played so long ago and then Towns was injured for all that time, it's almost like he kind of has been on like one of those classic ACL injuries, you know, he hasn't played forever. I feel like people forget just how good Conte Towns is. Don't you? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I just feel like people, like, I don't know, people are talking again about Jokic and Embiid and stuff, and I just feel like people forget, like, how bleeping good Conthony Towns is. So, to your question, like, offensively, he's already maybe, like, the best big man shooter ever. Um, but his defense has obviously been atrocious. Everyone has known that. Um, without Yeah, say- and, and he's, one of those play- he's one of those players where he's always you know, got flack for the the stuff he can't do rather than the stuff he can do. And when I asked about his defense, that's that's with, you know, the the caveat that he is for me the best offensive center in the league. Yep. I think he's better than Jokic, yep. although I do love Jokic, but I think that until 
I, I mainly want, obviously, I want him to get better on defense because I want this team to win. But just as much, I just want him to, to dig his way out of this narrative that, that surrounds him because he's such an awesome player. He's such an awesome guy. I mean, you know, the stuff he does, when, you know, behind the scenes. I mean, I know he can be a bit corny sometimes with, with interviews, but he's he's been a consummate professional for this team, and, and I really want him to become a better defender. So I guess that's why I ask these questions. No, that's a great question. And, you know, so you, you had said this, the same thing can go for D'Angelo Russell. Um, I, I'm more of like an eye test guy, whereas like you and Dane and Jack and all those guys have far more understanding of the numbers. But like, when you watch Conte Towns play, he's not soft. Like he is a physical dude. Like that no. dude takes a beating. Um, so I think the reason with his defensive lapses or just his inability to defend, it's just extra frustrating because I think like physically he can do it. Like physically it's there. I really think, and this is based off of really nothing other than my eyes. I really think it's just all mostly in his head. It's kind of like, again, I I like to make all the non-basketball analogies, but like, it's like you said about how the things he says in the press or the things he does, like he always has good intentions, but he's just sometimes saying things because he thinks he should be saying them. I think sometimes on defense, he's like, he's, he's reaching because he thinks he should reach or he's, he's jumping when he thinks he just, he's just not mentally all there but so i think he can be an average or better defender and if he's that just an average you know whatever 50th percentile defender with what he brings on offense i mean dude that guy is a top 10 player in the league because of what you just said from his comfortably off from his offensive skill d'angelo russell i don't know um because again when i just said all that stuff about carl being physical and you know taking a beating and not being afraid of physicality I don't see that with D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell is a is a good dude, um, has athleticism, obviously for being an NBA point guard, but he he's all finesse. He's all you know. He doesn't he doesn't get to the line a lot. He doesn't go to the rim a lot. He, he's very much a finesse player. So I think to be a good defender, and you should please correct me if I'm wrong, Blake. To be a good defender, you got to be physical. <laughs> like I don't. Can you name a defender in the league that's like a top five, yeah. top ten guy who's "Quote unquote," a finesse defender like you just the Beverly's, Kawhi's, Paul George's of the world. You just got to be able to take a beating. Like playing defense is hard. You got to be in a guy's body. Um, so I don't know. I don't really ever. I don't really have high hopes for D'Angelo Russell defensively. I just kind of think he's going to be their liability a lot, and they're going to have to find ways to just constantly have two or three extra guys out there that can just they can continue to hide D'Angelo Russell, who again is special offensively. Not nearly what Towns is for his position, but um, I think Towns can do it. I really do. I think he can do it. I think hopefully they adjust their defensive style under Vanterpool to, you know, kind of cater to Towns' strengths more. But for D'Angelo Russell, I I don't know. I like him. I'm glad they have him over Wiggins, but I'm with you. Like, I don't see it. Do you? No, no, I don't see it. I, I think... It's like I I completely agree with what you said. I think Towns is is more uh, in between the ears rather than than actual effort. I don't think that Towns, you know, is is out there not trying. I think he's more um, out there, I guess, trying too much at times. Towns, I, I yeah, think he, yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I think he definitely he wants to be a great defender. Where I think. Uh, Russell Moore doesn't really mind because he knows he can get his on the other end. I don't think Towns has that mentality. I just think that 
yeah, I think he tries too much. I think he wants to be great. He he when he's left on you know in an island on his own head to try and you know quarterback a defense, I think it all gets a little bit too much for him. And for that reason, I think that that is a little bit more teachable than than effort. I think once he you know I think every year, I, even last year when you know this season when he's got I think I guess more criticism than ever. I think he still got a little bit better defensively, especially when he was healthy, very healthy, I guess, at the start of the season. I just think that if he can get to, yeah, that between that 30 and 50th percentile, I think that's enough as, as a big. And Russell, probably the same. Russell, I think, has almost as good a tools. Not not like you said, he's not very physical, but I think he's long. He, sh- he really should be a better defender in the pick and roll. But from what I've seen, you know, I've gone over and watched those those 14 games that the Minnesota played after the deadline more than once on, on for, for all those games. And he just zones out so often. I don't think Towns ever zones out. I think Towns kind of just gets lost. Whereas Russell, you know, he'll be playing, even when he's off the ball, you know, getting hitting, hidden, he'll, he'll tag the roller and then he'll just forget about his man behind him. And all of a sudden, you know, someone's back cut for, for an easy two or he'll, you know, just fall asleep completely off the ball. And I think that's that's a pretty, you know, in big indictment on, on Russell. I think he needs to be a better defender. He just needs to be more aware in pretty much every situation. So I'm not sure whether I'm not sure whether um he'll ever be, you know, to in the fiftieth percentile. But like you said, I think the main thing is they need to they need to put defenders around those two. That's that's the biggest. I don't think they need to be world beaters defensively. I think we would love it if they were. We would love it if they were really consistent defenders. But all the signs point to to players never going from from bad to really good. So if you can get them guys to to just below average and then put put you know above average and great defenders around them, that's how you win. Yeah, and I, you know I think it's obvious. Like we should state the criticism of Karate Towns' defense is valid. Like, he's not a good yeah. defender. And I've, all the numbers back it up. So I think you might scoff, or a listener might scoff, when we say that Carl should try less on defense. And that's, you know, it's not exactly what yeah. I mean verbatim, but it's just, you know, I, I when I watch him, I don't see, I don't see, and I could be wrong, but I don't see the, like like you said, taking constant plays off, or I don't see the, the, the lapses in effort. I just think he's trying too many things, or he's trying to, like, I don't know. I've watched some plays where it's like Carl's trying to be the f- all five defenders. And it's like, dude, just just stick in your area. You know, like whether it's a drop scheme, whatever, just like stick to your role and worry about your stuff. And I don't know if that comes on to the Timberwolves of since Jimmy's gone, they haven't really had good defenders. I mean, Josh obviously can defend Josh Kogi, but uh, sometimes you think maybe Towns is just, he's still young. Like maybe he's trying to be like, well, I'm going to do everyone's job. It's like, no, dude, just do your job. Like if you just do your job, and you really focus at it and you keep, you know, keep your feet down and you're not jumping in all these pump fakes and you're not reaching all the time. Like, like you said, if he can even get to the 30th percentile, like that would be, I think people don't realize how much that would benefit this team if he was just, you know, a quarter better. Like just, just those little improvements would be so good and they're going to need it. Cause like I said, this team is built with those two cornerstones. I mean, it's Russell and Towns for as long as we can pretty much look forward to. So one of them is going to have to be competent on defense or this isn't going to work. And I think that's what Rosas is betting on. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I completely agree. And I think 
as much as we all want to see this team, you know, be a top 10 defense and, and reach their potential, you know, the highest qualities, I don't think they're ever going to be like that. I think Houston is obviously the, the comparison they get a lot, but I think they what you want to be more like Dallas of this season. I mean, Dallas had the best offensive rating of all time this season, and I don't expect Minnesota to hit those lofty heights, but, you know, they were ranked 17th in defensive rating. They were they were below average for pretty much the entire season on defense, but just enough to to make sure that, that their defense, uh, so that their offense could could survive with that with that below average defense. That's that's the outlook I think Minnesota should be going for. It's that that Dallas esque you know kind of look where you have the two stars. I mean, Luca's obviously a freak of nature, but I think Towns can be you know, right up there with, with Luca in terms of offensive talent. Uh, obviously, he's not got the ball in his hands all the time, but he can definitely impact the game offensively the same way that Luca can. And then you can, you know, pick and choose between Porzingis and, and Russell. Obviously, they're all different positions, and that's a, a weird kind of example. But the, no, the first in offensive rating or, or top five in offensive rating and kind of, you know, late teens, early 20s in defensive rating, that's where I think Minnesota want to be at the moment that's that's i think they can do that with this team and then you know to win a championship one of them guys are going to have to go above well above what what we think they can defensively but i think at least for the time being you can get to you know a perennial playoff contender i think dallas are a very good team and the type of team who could easily you know sneak a sneak a series off one of the best teams in the league if everything goes right for them so that, that's sure. what I'm looking for. And, and what they do is they they have good defenders around their stars. You know, the, the Dorian Finney-Smith, you know, Tim Hardaway's improved defensively. Um, to Dwight Powell, Maxi Cleaver, like they're yeah. all really good defenders and, and cover the holes of Luca. And Paul is a good defender, but he's still, you know, susceptible to just chasing blocks and to kind of not being in the right position. So it's, yeah, it, it's a hard one. But I think, yeah, you want to get them to at least average you know 50th percentile and then maybe maybe you can see what you got from there that that Mavs comp is so good because like you said it's not it's apples and steak in terms of comparisons with I mean Russell and uh, Luca are completely different players and Towns and Porzingis are pretty different players but it's it's that same concept <laughs> of you know that one five and then um I mean I don't know Tim Hardaway's nice um he, he does some things that might or that Malik Beasley does, but I mean they don't have a third a third guy on that roster. It's a lot of guys that stick to roles and play defense and can hit a shot. And I think that's what the that's what Rosas is building right now. I don't I don't think it's the Houston model as much, but that's a good question. What uh what was your next one? Um so for the next one I had this one this one I'm pretty intrigued to hear your answer. So how bad does the start of the season have to be or, or you know, for the entire season have to be for Ryan Saunders' seat to start to start getting really hot? Assuming management stays the same and, and that Rosas is still the guy, you know, who, who's leading the charge. Um, how bad does it have to get before we, we talk about Ryan Saunders actually getting fired? You know I, know, I know a lot of people called for it last season. I'm not a big Ryan Saunders endorser, but I don't think he should be fired just yet, but but how bad do they have to be for that to happen? So I know I just said that I think Glenn will sell the team by the time 
the next season starts. But I'm with you. Let's just let's just simulate this out that ownership is not a factor and this is all front office and roster and, and success based. Uh, I don't think they can have another season like they had. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's going to work under Glenn, under Kevin Garnett, under me, under you. Like, I don't think they can do that again. So if they, if the season starts again in Christmas and everyone is playing normal NBA 82 game schedule, I mean, I don't know, dude, like if they're five and 12 or something, I, I don't, I don't think it's a guarantee that if things start off super South, which I don't think they will, but if they don't, start I mean if they start off bad I don't think I don't think 20 games is a bad I just I don't think you're going to be able to sell to a broken a broken fan base <laughs> um another year of being terrible um you know granted that you know in the Wiggins trade they gave up that pick and it's top three protected so I mean there's still a little uh cushion in 2021 that if they're you know 15 and whatever 67 or whatever, um, that they could probably still get a pick, but you're not going to be able to sell that to the fan base mm-hmm. and be like, hey, don't worry, we got another pick coming. You, They have to start winning some games. And you're not going to be able to sell um, that to, you know, Glenn Taylor or, you know, insert new owner here with, with Rosa. Exactly. I mean, he, he is, especially if management changes and uh, if the front office, uh, sorry, the owner changes and they do give him that, that one more chance, that he's not going to sit on his hands and, and let, you know, bad coaching be the reason that, that he gets fired after two seasons. And and I I like Ryan more than maybe you or the average person likes Ryan, but I, I I've got to talk to him a couple times. He's a really good guy. Yeah. Um and I, I and again, so I, I'm not like Ryan needs to go, but I'm also not a proponent of Ryan needs the key to the city. Like yeah. if, if it doesn't work soon, he's gotta go. And I think and I do, I really do think Urson Rosas is like a really smart guy. Um, I think that was always the plan. Is like, listen, you Ryan, you took over the interim. We're gonna let you come on, and we're gonna give you a salary bump or whatever, and you're gonna run a team as a young, the youngest coach in the league. But if things go south, you will be the scapegoat. Yeah. So if we're five and twelve by the early, you know, end of January, if the season starts on Christmas, um, you're gonna be the one that takes the blame. We're gonna give you know David Vanterpool or someone else, Pablo Prigioni, the job. Um, that's just how this is gonna work out, and. Again, I, I I don't I just don't think they can start slow. I mean, I don't think they have to start fast and be twelve and four. Um, but if they're 25, 30 games in the season and they're not at least five hundred, I think that's a disaster. Because then you're gonna see it. Like you're gonna see it doesn't matter that Towns and Russell are best friends and on the same team, they're still gonna have rumors about which guys we want out. Do they both want out? So yeah, I I think they gotta start fast. They're gonna be well rested. <laughs> that's that's for sure. Yeah. It- in terms of Cat, I know you don't want to upset Towns, but I think he'll definitely, you know, be more understanding if they're sitting at the bottom of the pack again. Like I had, I had around forty games, so I said, you know, if they're if they're ten and thirty, I mean, I know, I think we all know that that Rosas really likes having Saunders there as kind of, I guess, you know, this is harsh, harsh on Ryan, and and it's not what I mean the way the way it's going to come out, but as his kind of puppet that he can you know, get to implement the system that he wants to win with, like we spoke about before. He, like, Rosas wants to play that small ball, you know, Houston North type style. He believes that is, you know, what can win championships. And I think he doesn't want a guy who comes in and, you know, he's uh, an older coach or, or a guy who's been around the league for a long time whose stubbornness and, and system needs to be implemented straight away. I think 
Rosas will probably clash heads with a guy who's not willing to, you know, implement that system and, and really go all in on it because we've seen that they, they want to win that way. They want to shoot a ton of threes. They want to play fast, play small, you know, obviously outside of towns. But, but yeah, I think I think that earns him a little bit of leeway. I, I, I don't think there's any obligation by Glenn Taylor that, that Saunders needs to be the coach. I think if Rosas think he, thinks he should go, he'll go. But at the, uh, yeah, I think he gets a little bit of leeway just because he's he's the kind of coach that that Gerson can mold into his system. And and but that leeway doesn't last that long if you're absolutely terrible, and if there's new owners and, and Rosas seats hot as well. So I don't know. It's a tough one, but, but yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't think they can be a bottom three team in, in the West again, or at least you know they need to be close to five hundred. They can't be terrible again. And and you know one just one thing to add on before we get into your next one, uh, like because I agree with you, but when you said you know you don't want to piss off Carl Anthony Towns, I agree. I like I love Towns, probably my favorite player. But, but you want to win. I also think I also I also think at some point like and again Carl has been through more in the last six months than I've been in in probably my life. But like at some point it's okay to be like uncomfortable. You know, like I don't. There, there's a Tom Thibodeau is one end of the spectrum, and Ryan Saunders is like the complete. Yeah, opposite they need to find some standpoint. middle ground there. But, but there's like a Kenny Atkinson in there. <laughs> yeah. There's a, um, there's like, you know, I know Ryan gets a lot of a lot of uh, free reign and a big leash because he's a young coach. But like that Taylor Jenkins in Memphis is also a pretty young coach, and like he's like a he's I don't think he's gonna win Coach of the Year, but like that he's really good. Yeah. And he he also won with young players in a rebuilding franchise. Um, so I don't think there's this whole thing. Well, if we get rid of Ryan, are we going to piss off Carl? Like, there's a lot of good coaches in the NBA. A lot of good assistant coaches. And if the they, Spurs have, if they like, bring in someone five, and they you know finish the season with you know twenty wins and, and ten losses, can't any towns will be happy. If they make if they fire Saunders and the next season they make the playoffs, towns will be happy. I can guarantee that. Right, yeah. I mean, it, I don't think Tom Thibodeau could coach that team, but pretty much anyone else. <laughs> like, if, if they're winning games, I mean, the, having a good relationship with your head coach isn't going to get Carl's name out of the gutter in terms of the national perspective. Yes. Like winning games is the only way. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns has been a world-class role model this summer with how he's handled everything. Um, but at the end of the day, when basketball picks up again and we're going every night this Christmas, this January – if he keeps losing games, he's going to be back in the gutter. Yeah. Like people, you empty stack guys are not looked at well in the NBA or on Twitter or in the general landscape. So he's going to have to win. So who can help Carl win? Maybe it's Ryan. Maybe it's not. But I, I don't think he's going to have a long leash if things, if things start bad. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. So, um, third question. Um, I'm writing about this at the moment. So again, I'm really intrigued to have to see what you think about this, but. How much, you know, if any, do you expect Malik Beasley shooting to regress, assuming he's back, which all reports, you know, point towards him coming back unless he's offered some sort of godfather free agency deal. But but if we assume he's back, how, how much do you think he'll regress, if any, as a shooter? I'm such I'm such a bad person to ask for this because, again, so optimistic. Like, when you had sent me that question before this, I, like, looked it up. I was like, man, like, his... If you're listening to this and you have five seconds, just go look at his stats when he came over yeah. from Denver. 
Like his shooting numbers. I've got some of them here as well. So I'll go through them quickly. So he shot 42.6% on 8.2 threes a game. The only other player to hit that many threes at a high percentage was was Duncan Robinson, who has a genuine case to be the best shooter not named Steph Curry in the league at the moment. He shot 48.6% on 2.6 pull-up threes a game. For reference, the only... Only of every player who's ever attempted 2.5 pull-ups a game, well, since 2013-14 when they started tracking the, the data, he only Steph Curry has ever hit over 43%. So he shot 5% <laughs> better than Steph Curry's best season. That was 2015-16 when Steph Curry was like, you know, the human torch. So it's, I think, yeah, like to answer that for myself, I think he's definitely due regression. I mean, he has to be because they're ungodly numbers. Like, he, he, and it just felt like every shot he hit, even like when I look at it, 42.6% felt low. That because just from watching those last, you know, 14, 15 games, I just felt like Malik Beasley hit every shot that he took. And yeah, I mean, and he was, and, and again, maybe devil's advocate is that after the Wolves passed on Steph Curry, maybe they're finally getting the karma they deserve to get the next one. But no, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, I because I, I went and rewatched. I mean, I have nothing else to do right now. There's Before the NBA and WNBA came back, there was nothing on TV. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I went and watched just some games, just like with the new Wolves. Um, and again, I test over analytics. But like, yeah, man, he hit some just crazy shots. Yeah. Like you just hit. They weren't catch and shoot open threes. Like they were pull ups. No. They were off the dribble pick and roll threes. Like everything he was just splashing. He hit some in the flow of the offense, but he also just hit some when like broken down plays. Um, so again, so it goes back to like when I said there's a difference between Tom Thibodeau and Ryan Saunders somewhere in the middle. Um, I mean, Malik Beasley was essentially getting DNPs in Denver. Yeah. Denver is an elite franchise. Um, I think in terms of player development and all that stuff. So like, did he just not get a chance or or what? what, I mean, maybe he didn't, maybe they're so deep and they just didn't have room for him. Um, Or, you know, so he comes into Minnesota and he's playing for a contract and he's playing for opportunities, pissed off. Um, Did that help it? Yeah, probably. I mean, there is no way because what you just said, and I know you're going to write about this. There's no way they'll get that Malik Beasley for the duration of his contract. Yeah. Like, it's literally impossible. <laughs> um, but That doesn't I, mean I'm he's going to become, you know, this below-average shooter all of a sudden. I mean, like, if he hits 38% on six threes a night, you know, and probably more catch-and-shoot stuff with, with Towns, you know, taking, a, you know, the bulk of the offensive possessions away from him, that's still a really high level. Like, that's Jason Tatum, Chris Middleton, you know, type-level shooter, and that's... Very, very helpful. Yeah. So again, I think I should. I kind of just continue to railroad all your questions and just jump <laughs> around. But like, I, 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 it's going to regress. Yeah. If you are listening to this and you like Malik Beasley, his shoot. If you are Malik Beasley listening to this, your shooting is going to regress. Um, but I think it can still be higher. Like you know, it can come down from that peak, but it can still hit a level that's pretty much higher than we've ever seen from like a guard for the Wolves since. I don't even know when. Like, yeah. who's the last guard that shot that well? Um, and I think if you can get him at the right deal, um, and I think you kind of have some ideas in your head better than I do about what a possible deal looks like, but um, if you can convince him to say, hey, we're going to not be able to give you the the world, I don't know, I don't know, it's four, 
448 reasonable. Yeah, that that's my optimum like optimum deal is 448. I mean, he turned down three years 30 from Denver, at, uh, you know, last year after the season, which is obviously only you know two mil less annually, but but that extra year you know obviously works out to 18 million dollars extra. We're in the middle of a yeah. pandemic. Teams are not going to be you know clamoring for Malik Beasley even though he was really good, but but no team's given him twenty million because they saw him play fourteen good games in Minnesota when, you know, there's you know, bare cupboards in ter- in terms of cap space. And Minnesota clearly, you know, even for for his perspective, I just feel like Minnesota, if he wants to be that player, I don't see why going to another system, you know, is the right idea. Another system for two million dollars extra a year yeah. is better than just signing the four years forty eight and then Maybe you turn to a star and you're you're 27 when that contract runs out, and and then you sign that bigger deal. And and I think that's why. And I would imagine that Gerson was on top of this more than yeah. little blog boy Kyle. But like, I would imagine that not only are they going to sell him on, hey, we're going to give you a, a life changing amount of money, but we all, like they're going to sell him on fit and family, yeah. which again is kind of what the wolves have to do because they're not on one of the coasts. You know, they're not on a beach. Um, but yeah, like a four forty eight. Let's say, like, are you really going to turn that down for four fifty six to go play in Atlanta? When I don't know, like, I, I, I respect and like Trey Young, but like, do you want to go play with that? Because that could get really bad really quick. Like, that could just be not fun to play with. Yeah. After a while, you know what I mean? Like, there's him and Herder and like some other guys on that team. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I think they're going to say, look at what this position we had for you. You're going to take the starting two guard. You had some good chemistry with with Russell. Um, that's going to have to be part of it because if it if it gets and you and I like talked about this before, but if it gets north of four sixty, I'm out. I'm out on that. And I think it, surely they are too. They have to know, like they like you said, they know the the front office knows way more about the ins and outs of their cap sheet and, and what they need to do to become a good team, but more than we do. But they can't think that tying up, you know every cent in Carlton's house, D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley is the way to, to win a championship. And, and, and to their credit, the front office, like I'm going to go to bed tonight on Saturday thinking Malik Beasley is going to be signing a long-term deal here. And I'm going to wake up tomorrow thinking the same thing, yeah. but if it doesn't happen and again, last time I say it, but the Kool-Aid, like if it doesn't happen, I will believe that it was the right decision yeah. and color me way too optimistic. But like, we don't have to dive into it again, but the whole Tyus Jones thing that just they got Jordan McLaughlin for essentially free. I trust them. Like I, you, I we love Beasley because he came in and lit the world on fire and is a cool dude with a cute son. But like you, you don't you don't give that guy four years, sixty four million. Like you just you can't do that. Otherwise, you're just gonna you never have a chance to win yeah. because they have already put all of their finances into two dudes. So they're gonna have to be in this. If if Malik Beasley signs, he's probably going to be the third highest payer or third highest paid player on essentially their contending team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're not going to have another guy making more money than no, him. No. So you have you, long term, long term. Yeah, and you're going to have to build around the fringes. And if you, you know, if you save that eighteen million dollars between the the forty eight and the and the sixty four, I think I got my maths wrong there. But you know, that's that's money that you can go and spend. You know, that's. That's the first round draft pick that that you sign for for eight million dollars a season. That's the the 
one tier up, you know, free agent that you can now get because you didn't spend that money on Malik Beasley. You know, it's it's just money. It's it's money that you're not in the luxury tax when you're trying to build, you know, a, a contender. So I just don't, I don't think they would give him heaps. I think that's kind of the, the reason I asked that question is because for us as fans, I think we need, and obviously the, the front office would, would already know this, but we need to temper our expectations, I guess, with Beasley just because that's not, the player he is and that's not to say he's not a good player because I, I, I do think he is but the way he shot in those 14 games were unfathomably good like that won't happen for a, for a full season and if it does he's the best shooter in the NBA by a long way so and and my only caveat to that because I obviously fully agree with you is that and correct me if I'm wrong but he played one game with Carl Anthony Towns right? yeah yeah the Toronto game, I mean, the, the infamous Toronto game where that's what the Wolves were going to look like until everything <laughs> yeah. kind of fell apart. Um, but again, you and I have watched, rewatched the games. He hit kind of unconsciousable heat check type shots because he had to also. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of times the other threats on the floor were Josh Okoge, Jarrett Culver, J- Nas Reed. Um, I don't think he can ever shoot like that again, but it's also going to open up a lot more for him to just shoot normal practice like three-pointers if Carlton Towns is on the floor. And I think he's definitely the kind of guy who, like, he's definitely a confidence player. And I I think think he'll he'll have eight-game stretches where he hits, you know, half of his threes on on eight threes a night because he's just in the zone. But, you know, and 14 games seems like a a decent sample size when you're watching them every, you know, two nights and, and it's, you know, two like one and a half months of basketball, you're like, wow, Malik Beasley's been doing this for so long. But to do that for 82 games is just not going to happen. But like you said, he's going to get way better looks with Towns in the offense. I mean, how many times did we see Towns get doubled in the post this year and swing a pass to Jocker Cody in the corner who bricked it or to, to Jared Culver in the corner who bricked it? Like if that's Malik Beasley, first of all, you, you can't even double off Malik Beasley. So... That's more buckets for Towns in the post. But if you do, if you're picking your poison and your poison is leave Beasley open, he's going to hit that three. And that probably puts him up around 40% and an extremely good shooter. I think, you know, yeah, extremely good shooter. I just think, yeah, that the confidence is so important to him. I think he needs to start the season off strong. If he starts the season in, in a shooting slump, that might get ugly pretty quick. I don't think he'll ever be a bad shooter, but, you know, he, he might be a 35% shooter. But if he starts off hot, you know, and, and he realizes that he can hit shots in this system, then I think he could be, you know, 40% on, on five or six threes a game, which is elite level. Yeah, and, I, and I'll just kind of close on this for this question, but, like, if I had, like, if this was dating and I had a type, my type of NBA player would be just gamers. Yeah. And I think that's why everyone fell in love with Malik Beasley. Yeah. I mean, he was he put his arms up to raise the target center crowd more times in his short stint here than like Andrew Wiggins did in his whole tenure. Yeah, well, you know, well like that's the one, that on would the be ground. one time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was probably on draft day, but like I just I really think that he's a gamer. And again, that you don't just pay guys that you like all the money in the world. You gotta find that reasonable thing. But I just I think he's the type of player that you see on winning teams. Yeah. Um, so the price matters, but again, I think that guy has heart and that guy has things that bring the best out of guys like Russell, who also is a gamer, who also is an emotional dude. 
and Towns, who tries to keep his emotions in check, t- does a terrible job of doing it. But um, I think that's a that's the type of guy you want around that organization and on the floor. But but the price has to be right. So we'll see. Yeah, exactly. So that that's probably the biggest you know talking point, I guess, in Minnesota circles at the moment. Just is that basically contract. So I thought we'd touch on that. Um, for number for the fourth question, do you think it's tenable, I guess, to have Josh Terry and Jared Culver on the same roster, and then if so, on the tour together for long periods of time? So I like both. Um, I'm like in a like uncomfortably just massive Josh Akogi yeah. fan because I just I just think at, at his price and what he does and his again my type, I love gamers. Like, Josh is never going to be the guy if it was the 13th night of a back-to-back-to-back-to-back. Like, he's still going to give you his heart. Yeah. So, I love that. And it's probably important to say that, like, next year, Josh Kogi's going to make $2.7 million. Yeah. Um, shout out to I me. Mean, that was one of the few good draft picks in kind of Wolves lore going <laughs> back. Um, Jarrett Culver, I also like. Like, if someone was just in general selling Jarrett Culver stock, I'd be buying it because I think you can get his issues solved pretty much in his head. I mean, I know his jump shot is abysmal to look at, but I think you can fix it. So I, I like Jared Culver. But to answer your question, I don't think you can. I was shocked. I forgot how much Jared Culver's rookie contract was. So I think next year he's making six point, I think 6.1 and then it's 6.38 and then his qualifying offer of 10. Yeah. He has to be a lot. Like you can be Josh Akogi and make $2 million and be a big asset. But if you're making eight million dollars and you're Jared Culver, like you gotta be doing a lot more to make that value. Um, so no, like I, I don't. I and Dane talks about this all the time, but like I don't think those guys are both in their pl- in Rosas's long term plans. I still support the Jared Culver move. I don't love Dario Sarch. I don't even know if he'll play here in the NBA next year. Um, but I, I just I, I like the risk. They they spent nothing to try to take a risk, and Jared Culver hasn't panned out, and he might. But I don't. I, I see Josh Akogi having a longer tenure with the Wolves and being more of a sticking point than Jarrett Culver. I think. I, I don't know what you think. I guess this is. I'm really excited for you to answer this one. But I don't think Jarrett Culver is a long is long for this team. Yeah, I I do agree. I think obviously if one of them you know develop a a reliable three point shot, this this, you know, conversation changes a bit because if Jared Culver comes out next season and shoots 37% from three, which I'd be very surprised if that happened. Jeez, but like, how cool would that be? <laughs> but um, then, then you know, you can you can envision them playing together because that's the, that's the big, you know, stumbling block for those two so they both can't shoot and this system is so heavily reliant on, on launching threes and, and being able to space the floor effectively around Towns and around Russell and even around Beasley. So I think you got to pick your poison in a way. I think Okogi's clearly a better, you know, point of attack defender. Like you said, just huge energy guy. The kind of guy who, who gets the trout on, on their feet. He makes defensive plays. He'll never, ever stop trying. Not that Jared Colvar, I don't think, is a, a low energy guy, but Okogi's one of them guys that, that teams only have one of them, if any. And that's that guy that, that, you know, is just nonstop. Like, there's a, there's a reason they call him nonstop, and that's because he's just a little energizer bunny on the court, and maybe his skills don't always uh, keep up with that same level, but that energy gets you a long way, especially on the defensive end, especially 
you know, attacking driving lanes and dunking on dudes. Like, I love a Kogi too, irrationally. I think I agree with you. I think I'd, I'd probably, if I had to sell one of them, it'd probably be Culver just because I, if you don't have, you know, two non-shooters, I think you want the guy who has a chance to be a, a genuinely elite defender rather than the guy who has a chance to be a good defender and does a little bit more offensively just because... This team needs elite defenders, and I don't know if Culver will ever be an elite defender. Well, I do think he'll be a good one, but I'm not sure he'll ever get to, to the levels that a Kogi could. But, yeah, it's tough for me. I don't think they can survive. I think I, I if I had the option, I'd probably look to trade Culver just because he's, he still have value around the league. Like, pick, sixth pick in their second year still nets you something. You know, if that's Aaron Gordon, if it's, you know, a throw-in to try and get a star... Culver's the one guy who you can guarantee is going out. Yeah, and I, I think that's all. I think I agree with all that. I think uh, this is a couple months ago. I got to give him a shout out. I think his name is like at Yo Leo on Twitter, yeah. but uh, he put together like a compilation of Jared Culver's best defensive highlights from the season. He pretty much watched like every minute of Jared Culver's tape. Uh, and you forget how good Jared was sometimes. Yeah. Like, on defense, like you forget how like because we were so down on him offensively, I think it was easy to overlook what he was actually doing. Right? Yeah, I think if he just had the most basic, generic rookie like splits for a shooter, like nothing pretty, just average, I think we'd be a lot higher on him. I think we just always think of those free throw mechanics and yeah. some of those flat jump shots. But um, I I remember when that video came out again. You can find it on Twitter. Uh, he's just he is so long, like. For everything that Josh Okogi brings, he doesn't, I don't think, I'd have to look at these measurements up again, I, he just doesn't seem to have Jarrett's length. Like, Jarrett is just a long guy that can just disrupt so many passing lanes, um, can cover on the help side and block some shots. Um, so, again, I'm not out on him, but to answer yeah. your question, like, I don't think they'll both be here in two years. Um, but, but again, too, like, the Jarrett Culver thing that sucks and I feel for him, we're going to go know like the the way the NBA world works and how they kind of screwed Jarrett Culver over for Summer League last year when they wouldn't announce the trade, you know, all that stuff. Um, so he didn't get to play in Summer League. And then he had kind of a weird rookie start. And now this year, if there would have been Summer League this year, Jarrett Culver would have been playing in Summer yeah. League. Like that's, that's not a hot take. Like he would have been in Vegas. Um, so he's going to go two years without like developmental reps. And I think that hurts him because I think he could have worked out some of those mental kinks i mean he had the weirdest rookie season ever for a kid moving from small town texas to minneapolis like and i truly do believe he could be a good player i think i've said before but he's the kind of guy who i could see people saying like why did minnesota trade him you know right and right and i understand why they would trade him i just said i understand i probably would do it over a kogi but it just i don't know i'm so torn on culver just because i can see him becoming a good player i have no issue with him staying on the roster. I just think this team needs something that's not a developing Jared Culver who might not ever develop to be yeah. good, you know, and and just because he still has that value. I mean, if you package Culver and the sixth, 15th, 16th pick in this year's draft, I think you net something fairly decent. And mm-hmm. and that's the only reason I guess maybe that, that, that lowers my perception on him just because I think like I kind of want him traded because I want more win now or win in the next, you know, one to two years kind of pieces. But 
I can't. Everything I read about him and every coach he's ever had has said he's he's the hardest worker in the gym and always has been. And maybe maybe that's you know the mentality that that he needs after a rookie season like he has just had to kind of come back. Like, yeah, I don't won't be surprised if he comes back next season and he's actually good. Like not great, but you know fourth best player on the team. Like that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, and. Again, the case the case against Jared Culver is that you and I watched him play. Yeah. And he's has one of the worst jump shots I've ever seen. And and again, the the Wolves, and this is probably I think written about somewhere, but like the Wolves weren't waiting for Jared Culver to finish his rookie season before they fixed his jump shot. I got to attend a couple of games and cover some games like every night that they're working on his mechanics. Yeah. So like they started changing his jump shot in October or September. Um but the case for him, again, like you said, is that if Jared Culver's that piece in the Aaron Gordon trade that we've talked about before. Um, Jared Culver didn't have summer league number one. He didn't have summer league number two. He basically had to hide from Minnesota for three months because they couldn't really announce and he, the trade. And, and he do never all that got stuff. that spoon-feeding, you know, he never got 35 minutes a game. Like, even at, when he, you know, in the, in the few stretches that he did play well for Minnesota, he was still getting, like, you know, 15 to 25 minutes a night. Like, Ryan Saunders definitely didn't baby him you know, and, and let him have whatever he wanted. Like, he had to work for everything he yep. got. And that's tough after you come from being a star, you know, on a team that just made the Final Four. And like you said, you're from a small town. All of a sudden, you're in the NBA and you can't crack 20 minutes a night and your jump shot won't fall and, and, and they're tinkering with it every night and your free throw looks like a car crash and it didn't last season, <laughs> and it didn't last season you know. And, like, uh, I can see how it would have been overwhelming for him and he still does strike me as the player who's going to, you know figure it all out once all of that becomes a bit more, you know, everyday routine rather than just overwhelming. Yeah, and, and he was a wing player at Texas Tech um, who handled the ball a lot, but then he came in and I remember like the first press conferences, they're talking about him playing point guard. Yeah. So then he comes in and starts playing another position and he's a rookie, which I I would say it's safe to say that playing point guard as a rookie is the hardest thing to do yeah. um, because of the talent of that position. But then D'Angelo Russell comes in 40-some games in, so like then he's already not the point guard of the future and stuff. But but yeah, I just, I, I believe in my heart of hearts that if Jarrett Culver gets drafted by the Charlotte Hornets and just they throw him out there at the two and they're playing him 35 minutes a night again alongside you know, Devontae Graham, he he might have won rookie of the year. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Just like if he would have just been free-flowing, can do more of what he wants, take mid-range jumpers when he's comfortable with it. Um, I mean, it was how bad the rookie class was. Like, he, he might have won rookie of the year. I mean, I know Ja was really good and Zion had his stuff, but I, I just I would hate to see him be in that Aaron Gordon trade, like you said, go to Orlando, have open court, and just kick ass. Like that would yeah. be the worst. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm completely on the fence about Culver. I mean, it's one of them ones where if he got traded, I don't think I'd be like, you know, super upset about it. But then if he di- if he didn't, I'd be really excited to see him next season. So, I uh, yeah, it's it's kind of I could go either way on that. But um, we'll jump into the last question. This one uh, I've talked about before. I did a whole podcast with, with Jack Borman about this, but I'd love to know your thoughts. So I won't stay too long on it, but do you think there's a role in this team for Juancho Hernan Gomez? Yes. I mean, I, I think that the simple, educated answer is there's a role for him. I, I mean, I just, I liked what he did. He was kind of an enter. To, to me, he reminded me of like a less playmaking Nemanja Belica, yeah. but who kind of gave a damn. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I think 
Wancho showed up to the arena and I'd be like, cool, I, I want to play basketball. Whereas like Belly, I don't know if that was always the case. I mean, again, like I don't know, I don't know if he's fully loves the NBA style, the game, whatever, the politics of it all. But um, so I think having guys like that matters. Like Wancho came in, I think you can play him as a, he's not a starting player in the league, yeah. but I mean, you can play him as a nice backup and, you know, maybe every six night he just is a DNP and he's making a couple million. Um, but that's like it. Though. I mean, I think you have a role for him. But I know people like to say, well, the Wolves flipped up, flipped a pick for Wancho and, and Beasley and Vanderbilt. Um, but that doesn't mean I feel attached to Wancho Hunter oh, yeah. Gomez. Yeah. Like if, if he comes calling for five or six million, I think that's way more than I'm willing to pay him. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that was what I had down, and that's what I've said before: is if he's in a bench role, you know, a low minute role, and, and his contract reflects that, then I don't have a problem with it. But that's definitely the extent of it to me. I mean, he was a really great shooter, you know, in his time with Minnesota, but again, pretty, you know, unsustainable numbers. I mean, he's never been that good throughout his his career. I still think he's a better shooter than he, you know, the the twenty nine percent or whatever he shot in Denver in, in a in a role where he couldn't kind of get off the bench and when he did he was just asked to to shoot open threes and, and never really get involved in the offense. But I don't know. He, he, I don't think he does anything that well outside of shoot the ball. Like he's he's really good on them slips out of the pick and roll, but he shot forty percent, forty seven percent on cuts, which is in the nineteenth percentile. I mean, he he was pretty horrible finishing around the rim in Minnesota and has been for his whole career. He can't defend the four or the five. He doesn't block shots. You know, he's not good positioning wise, or you know, as a as a team defender. So I don't know. I I think there's a role for him on the team, but I think that role could probably be filled by someone who compliments, you know, Towns and Russell a bit more. But if one turns up on the team at, at three years, nine million, I don't think anyone could really complain about that. No, I, I, I hope he's on the team. Cause again, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like he didn't really do anything well. Like he did some nice things, but he didn't like excel in one area. But um, but but I also think it's kind of weird. Like when I was just looking at Basketball Reference, and you just kind of googling a guy's stats. But like he never played more than I think like fourteen and a half minutes yeah. a game. He looked really happy to be, you know, able to strut his stuff on the court and, and really yeah. show what he can do. And maybe that's maybe that's the new normal for him. Like maybe that's all he needed. But I just don't think that I don't think he's good enough defensively where you can. That can be tenable that that he gets to strut his stuff offensively and you know be a bad defender like not on this team. Yeah, I like so. Yeah, I I agree. Like I said, he's averaging fourteen and a half minutes in Denver, and then he came in and in fourteen games averaged thirty for the Wolves. Like if Juancho Hernan Gomez is playing thirty minutes for any franchise, that team sucks. Yeah. Um. So the so again, you can't do that. But if you can get him, like you said, three for three years for nine million is a good deal. Um. Bring him off the bench as, I don't know what, seventh, eighth man. Um, he can do some things. But I think the world has shown, like, you just, you can't have just a complete matador at that position. Um, and you really can't pay those fringe guys high money if they don't do one specific thing well. You know, like, if maybe you're just a defender, but you help the other guys. But Wancho, I mean, you can find those guys around the league. Yeah, like everyone, not everyone, but like, 
players shoot well everywhere now. You know what I mean? Like you can find thirty-seven percent shooters that can that can play small ball for in, in in every corner of of the league and in the G League. And you know the way I kind of consider it with him is is he better than Jake Lehman? Because Jake Lehman played ninety percent of his minutes at the four this season. So yeah, that's a good question. It, wow. And and Lehman's already on that contract. You know he's on three years, twelve million. So like. Are you going to pay both of those dudes and have one of them sit on the bench, or are you just going to give that role to a guy who, you know, is making the vet minimum? Like, because I think Layman's better. I think Blanchard's a better shooter, but I think Layman is better in transition. He's a bit better defensively. I don't think Layman's great defensively, but he definitely is a smarter defender and, you know, more athletic, more capable of, of, of switching down a position and, you know, guarding fours and threes. So. I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I think if if it's to me, you're choosing out of one of them two and then you're giving the, the third string, you know, power forward minutes, if there's any, to, to Jared Vanderbilt. So I like yep. Juancho. I just I don't see the role for him really on this team unless, you know, there's trades and there probably will be. So maybe maybe they bring him back because they know they're, they're planning on something where layman's the throw-in or, you know, where, yeah. you know, yeah. so uh, who knows. But... For me, I'm I'm fairly out on Wancho. And I think it's kind of like the Beasley thing again. Like, I think Minnesota fans are just, you know, destined to always worry about guys leaving them. But for him, I think Wancho needs Minnesota, you know, probably more than Minnesota needs yeah, him. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think, again, he's going to put up, you know, play 30 minutes a game or shoot 42% from three on five attempts. But I think you can sell him on a two, you know, two years, six million, just big. Like, listen, you're only 24. Uh, play with us a couple more years, kind of, you know, develop in our system and then go get that one big contract where maybe you can go get four for 40. Um, so I, I think for him, like, I don't know what the market is for a guy like that, but I think he'd be smart to stay here on a one or two year deal because I think, he, I, again, I to kind of counter what you said. I do think there's enough of a role in this type of free flowing system um, that he could make some money for himself. But I mean, I, I just don't see where I don't think he's going to go sign with the Spurs for. Yeah. You know, and the whole, three and the whole in my argument is that Layman can play multiple positions. So, like in that scenario, you, you could play Layman and Wancho together in a second unit at the three and the four. I mean, he played ninety, Just, he played ninety percent of his minutes at, at the four, Layman, but that doesn't mean he has to every year. So, that's I guess the counter argument against myself. Well, I know we're kind of wrapping this up, but I just you said his name, so I get to bring it up. But like, I. I know this is like so nitty gritty, but man, would I, I just want to see Jared Vanderbilt play basketball. Oh, I love him. I have no takes. I'm just saying like, <laughs> I think not having summer league this year was an absolute disaster. Like I know health and concerns and safety. And like, we talk about that second bubble, um, which I don't think is probably going to happen, but I I know it was unsafe, but like I would have loved to have seen him play like yeah. him and Jared Culver, just let him play basketball a little bit um, and see, because I think, Vanderbilt might be the guy when Wancho, if he does leave, you're like, man, but they got Jared Vanderbilt and he's nice. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the national guys and the uh, Denver guys are, are really high on Vanderbilt. So, like you said, we are wrapping it up. I don't want to get too fine to Vanderbilt because I can speak about him for hours. But it's, it's. Let's do like a four, let's do like a four hour Jared <laughs> Vanderbilt pod in like September. We have nothing to talk about. So. It's going to get to that. I mean, if like, if some good. Timberwolves content doesn't come out soon. Like if they go and trade all of their picks in the draft for like picks in the future and like role players, 
uh, Jared Vanderbilt's going to get like a 24 hour long live, <laughs> like a, you know, live charity event. Yeah, if they just like fall to the seventh pick and they end up drafting like, I mean, you, you and I are now well versed on these draft guys, but they draft some, you know, kid from a small college. We're, we're not going to have anything to talk about. There's no <laughs> intrigue, no trades, no fireworks. That's why, again, thanks. Shout out to Glenn Taylor for just, like, yeah, trying to cash in. Yeah, he, breathing life he into sparked us. us. Yep. He's just trying to build a brand before he sells <laughs> it. It's just so. helping out Canis Hoopers. So, thanks yeah. for that, Glenn. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, man. Um, Everyone else, like, rate, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. Yeah, do um, it. As usual, Kyle, you're awesome to have on. Awesome chat and... um. Yeah, I'll speak to all you guys next week.